If I had to pick my least overall liked beer style, I wouldn't hesitate to say Belgian beers. But like with everything, there's always an exception. And today I am going to brew that exception to my dislike of Belgian beers. Welcome to Big Monster Brewing. I am Matt, and today I am brewing the beer I dislike least from the style that I like least. That makes sense? And let me be a little more specific. Generally, I don't care for Belgian beers. I wouldn't go as far as to say I hate them or avoid them completely. I do appreciate a well-made Belgian beer and have judged several of them in the past and found really good examples of the style. It's just not a taste I prefer over almost any other style of beer is what it comes down to. Except for one Belgian style specifically, and that's a wit beer. A wit beer is a pale, usually hazy to cloudy wheat-focused beer with an accompanying spice flavor and malty sweetness that I like, along with that overall Belgian beer character that I typically don't like in other Belgian beers. That combination of that malty sweetness and the rich, flavorful wheat character does complement that typically phenolic, spicy character that is kind of a signature characteristic of Belgian beers. I've made this style of beer a few other times, starting with my first award-winning recipe that used cotton candy in place of Belgian candy sugar. That particular recipe is always fun to brew because the wort looks dark green from the addition of the pink and blue cotton candy, but then the yeast end up scrubbing out all of that color and leaves you with that signature pale straw gold color that you'd expect in a wit beer. I got a couple bronze and silver medals with that recipe, and since then I've adjusted the recipe to use actual Belgian candy sugar and finally scored a gold medal with it. I altered it yet again by changing the dried bitter orange peel that I used to use and replacing it with fresh orange zest and adding a little bit of earthy floral character with some dried chamomile. I have made this particular recipe that I'm brewing today before, and it's a well overdue brew. And I'm making a two and a half gallon batch because I want to drink some and I want to enter some in some competitions that are coming up in the very near future. I really want to see if this recipe is still holding up from that one big win. And to find that out, I need to brew the beer. So let's get on to brew day. It's brew day for the wit beer, and I'm starting out by getting water, ice, and oranges, which doesn't sound like a very difficult task, except the oranges part is proving to be more challenging than anyone would probably ever expect. I went to the local grocery store, the closest one to the house, got the water, and they had the ice. I did not get it because they didn't have any oranges. Uh, well, okay, they didn't have the... I just went simple navel oranges. They didn't have any of those. They had like tangelos, clementines, a uh, couple other weird oranges that I'm not sure what the taste profile of that zest is. So I'm hoping I'm going to the next grocery, next closest grocery store, which isn't terribly far. So it's worth, worth finding out and see if they have oranges. Uh, there was a six pack of California navel oranges for a little more than I would it's, a little, it's more oranges than I need, and I wouldn't really want to pay that much. Although I could see, my, I could get through the oranges. Oranges are a fruit I like to eat. Um, hopefully, this other grocery store I'm going to has individual oranges, so I can grab two. And if not, that they also have the same six packs. So I don't have to drive back again to the original location. And along with that, I did not get, like I said, I didn't get the ice yet because since I am driving a little 
more than intended. I figured I'd just get it at my, whatever my last stop is going to be. Hopefully it's this next grocery store. So already off to a rolling, wonderful, now delayed start to my brew day. I just left the second grocery store and they did have oranges. In fact, they had like picture perfect oranges. These are straight off the, uh, what uses photos to advertise? A magazine, I guess. I don't know. Can't think of anything else. It looked like it was pulled straight out of an ad, I guess I could, should say. So I got two of those, got the bag of ice, headed back now. Starting a little later than I wanted, but it's still pretty early in the morning i'm gonna have most of the afternoon and the entire night ahead of me so no complaints and uh yeah just ready to get started happy i got everything i needed i was a little worried since these were both the same uh chain grocery stores and fairly close to each other that they might have the same uh delivery schedules that they might not have oranges either but they did as i said that's how i started this recording and and i got my oranges I am getting the malts together for this wit beer, and I already have the water running. I got a little more than three and a half gallons of water heating up. I'm doing a step mash. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll describe it now. I'll probably talk more about it as we go, but I'm doing a, a two-phase step mash, or two-step step mash, starting at 122 for 15 minutes, then 154 for 45 minutes. Then instead of doing my typical mash out, I'm just going to let the sparge water I'm going to heat up to 170 degrees, kind of mimic that. And that's, that's it. So it's just two steps. And I really, I, the first time I did this was the last time I made this beer. And I really, really liked the results of that. So maybe more on that as we go, although I kind of just explained it all. But for the malt bill, I'm going to put it together now. It's fairly simple. It's two pounds, 12 ounces, which I think is two and three quarter pound Pilsner malt, two and a half pounds of flaked wheat, and then two ounces of Munich malt. And I believe this is one of those things where it happened <laughs> long enough ago that I don't quite remember or, or kind of sort of remember. And I also didn't write it down, but I believe that last two ounces of Munich was because I was out of one or the other of the malts for this. And I just wanted to bump up the gravity to that mid-range that I like on almost all my beers and again, liked the result, so I stuck with it, though I'm not quite sure what the reasoning is. I think that's the reason why. Maybe I read somewhere that a, a really well-done Whitbeer had Munich and I put it in, but like I said, it's happened so long enough now that I'm not entirely sure, but kind of sort of think I know what happened. But anyway, that's it. That is it for the grist. Everything else comes in the boil, and we'll talk about that when we get the boil additions ready, but there, as far as hops goes, nearly nothing. Most of the boil stuff is going to come at the very end with some really interesting additions, which we will get to here in a bit. I am mashed in. I'm sitting at 122, and I'll talk a little bit more about these steps I'm doing. So the first step, there, there's, I'm, I'm skipping the acid rest, which is, I think, like 93 degrees or 96 degrees, 113, something like that. I'm not worried about my pH level because I balanced it with my mineral additions. You might be hearing my dog, Shorzy, whimpering. He said his big sister and mother went to the pet store without him to get some some snacks. I can't say the T word because he knows that word. Um, okay, back to the step. I'm in the protein rest range, which is, oh, man, I think that range is like 119 to 125. 122 is the middle. I usually pick the middle when I'm not entirely 
sure what number to pick without a lot of lab work. So I'm at 122. That should loosen up the flaked wheat a little bit to get more starches in the conversion step, which is going to be the next range. And that's, that's, it's also called sacrification, I think, which sounds <laughs> pretty harsh. So I call it the conversion stage because I saw an article, I think in BYO magazine called that once. And I like that better. So not entirely sure that the protein step is necessary. I just know it's worked before. So I'm kind of sticking with that for now. I don't know that I'll ever do like a dual brew side by side with the same recipe and skip that step to see if it does make a difference or not. But I just know I liked the results last time I used it. So I'm going to use it again, kind of out of tradition and knowing that it works. So I'm going to let this sit for 15 minutes and come back, get into that conversion phase. And I'll talk just a little bit more about that when we get there. That protein rest is done. So I'm now turning the foundry up to 154. And that's it. That's all I need to do. Power's already on. And now just wait. So this should take, uh, I'm going to guess, it's been a while, about another 15 minutes to get to temperature. And then I'm going to let it sit for 45 minutes. So this is going to be a longer brew day because of this. But that's really the only time addition. The boil is going to be 60 minutes. And not, there's really nothing else. So it's worth it because the result comes out really well. And again, not sure I need that first step, but I know it didn't hurt it. Now, whether it directly helped it, that's, it's definitely debatable and it's something that could be researched, but I like how it comes out. So that's what I'm going to continue to do with this beer. So now it's just a waiting game. I'm going to start getting my boil additions ready. Uh, the, the really more involved ones. We'll talk about that probably in this next clip. I am still at the mash rest. In fact, the temperature is still coming up. I got the late boil additions together faster than I would. And I'm also here with a whimpering dog who still misses his sister and mother. So I'm trying to calm him down as I record. So we're kind of doing the boil additions in a weird order here. I'm going to talk about the very last ones first. And that is at five minutes, I'm going to add some really specific, distinct additions. And that is chamomile, not calamine, like I accidentally called it. Last time I ate this, when I was talking to my wife, and she's wondering why I'm adding, adding that pink uh, uh, lotion, that anti-itch lotion into a beer, and realized I was saying the wrong word, but chamomile, and coriander seed, and last but not least, the fresh orange peel. So starting with the, the chamomile, adding that, I, I use chamomile tea, but like just just chamomile tea. That's, that's the trick. If you go to buy this, I like using the tea because I can pull it out. It takes me... For what I need for this edition, I think it's seven tea bags, which is exactly 0.2 ounces, which is what I put in. And then I don't have an open bag of chamomile flowers to find a home for and let sit for years. A tea will last for quite a while. But the trick is, if you're going to do that, make sure you look at the ingredients and make sure it only says chamomile. If it says plus, you know, like clove and cinnamon and black tea or even green tea, it's not what you want. You don't want any of those flavors. All we want is a chamomile. And, and you can get just a chamomile Tea, and that's what I have. The ingredients say on there chamomile, and then it says whatever chamomile is in Spanish. I don't have the, the box in front of me, so that's the only other thing it says. But I checked that. I honestly checked that just to make sure and looked it up, and it was the Spanish word for chamomile. The coriander seed, those are whole seeds. I'm going to put them in a Ziploc bag and roll a rolling pin over them a few times. I kind of want them cracked in half and really no more than quarters. I don't want a fine dusting of this. I don't want chamomile or... Uh, coriander powder. I want the whole seeds to 
roll around in that boil and, and steep while it cools as well. Um, finally, last but certainly not least, is the fresh orange peel. And it's definitely not least because we <laughs> opened the show with that. I used to use, like you can get uh, from a brew supply shop, in, uh, local or online, you can get orange peel, sweet orange peel or bitter orange peel. I used to use a, either or. I think a bitter was the last I stuck with. But I don't like it for two reasons. One, it's dehydrated to like stone. It is so hard. And even after putting it in a boil, it really doesn't soften up that much. So I don't know how much extraction comes out of it. I also don't like it because I think it's made, it's it's prepared by a machine, I think. I think it's it's really, it peels off the, it takes the peel off really thick, thick. There's a lot of pith to it. Oh, oh, my poor dog. There's a lot of pith on it, and I don't want that flavor in there. I want as much of just the orange zest as I can. So I started going with, I started testing with navel oranges and stopped there because I liked the result. So what I do, I don't, I do have a zester, but I don't go that far. I don't get that fine of a zest out of it for this beer, for this big batch of beer. I use a potato peeler and I take off the zest with that. Now I do grab some pith, but not, I mean, it's nowhere near the amount of pith I put in if I got that, that uh, mass produced stuff. So I do that. I got 0.75 ounces of it, nice and fresh. I'm going to put all of everything I described into a muslin bag and just let that drop in there at five minutes and sit and steep as I chill the wort. And as we're recording, the timer went off or the, the alert went off for the temperature. So we're at mash range. So I'm going to turn down the power to 80% and start my timer for this last part of the mash. We're in the last minutes of the mash, about ready to pull the malt pipe and start sparging. But since the last recording and waiting these last few minutes, I got the last boil additions ready and they're a little more traditional. There is one more thing that's specific to this beer that we usually don't add, but we'll go, we'll start at the beginning like we usually do. So it's 60 minutes right at the, it's gonna be a 60 minute boil. So right at the start of the boil, putting in 0.6 ounce of Hellatower middle Foral hops. Really low alpha, Acid hops, it's, I don't even think they'll be detectable with all that other stuff we already talked about that we put in here. Then in 10 minutes, yeast nutrients. And also at 10 minutes, I'm going to add four ounces of Belgian, clear Belgian candy sugar. So some additional sugars on top of what we're getting out of the grist for this beer, which is a very Belgian style thing. Almost every Belgian style recipe I've looked at or tried has either the hard candy sugar, the liquid candy sugar, some kind of Belgian candied sugar. And this one is no exception. So that's gonna be added. The one omission that we talk about a lot on most of my brews is Whirlflock. We don't want to clear this beer at all between the haze that the wheat's gonna give and the haze that the, the yeast and suspension is gonna give. This is not, this is one of the very few handfuls of beers where clear is not your friend when it comes to judging or style. So we're not doing anything to clear this. Time is gonna do something to it. Time in the keg, time in a bottle, time in a can, wherever it goes to, that's actually gonna, that's gonna settle something out, but we're not gonna give it any help. So we want to try to have that haziness the almost opaque nature of this beer when we're done. So no finding additions ever along the way for this beer. Okay, I'm at the point where the mash is done. I'm letting the 
malt pipe drain a little bit. In fact, I think that's enough. I can start sparging here as I talk. And I, I was actually a little... I, I, I can't imagine this hasn't happened before that I've got kind of got a little worried looking at the wart as I was going through the cycling uh, recirculation tube, rather. It was white. It was cloudy, but it was like white bordering on clear. And I'm like, man, I know it's supposed to be a light color, like almost white. That's where the name comes from. But this is like too much. So I put some in a glass. I, I poured some off in a glass. It's like, okay, it's yellow once you have a a wider, more condensed sample of it. So I, I felt better about that. Then I checked the gravity, and the gravity is actually a little high. So everything's going well, but just look at that. I was like, I'm not entirely sure anything's happening, but it sure, sure did. And if this is what happened the last couple of times I made it, I, I can't imagine I didn't think the same thing, but I don't have any recollection of that concern from making this beer before. I don't know why it hit me like that this time, but it did. So, but all is well, numbers are good. Color looks good once you get it more than just a trickle out of a tube, well, more a small stream out of a tube. So there really was no need to worry, but I did and all's good. So just wanted to add that for the heck of it because I, I don't know why it concerned me so much this time, but I feel much better now going into the boil. I am now setting the Anvil Foundry to boil very slowly. There we go, okay. And I'm turning the power back up to 100%. As you can probably figure out at this step, uh, the sparge is done, the malt pipe is out of the foundry. So I am getting ready to start the boil. So I'm gonna uh, put the lid, I don't know if I have mentioned this before, I put the lid on but askew, like there's a sliver, like a crescent moon shaped sliver. So it's some steam can let out. We don't get any kind of really bad boil over because the foundry will, beep will set an alert at 200 degrees so that if you do that in fact this might even be in their instruction manual maybe this is where i got it from i'm not 100 sure but at 200 degrees it'll set it'll sound an alarm so you can take anything you're covering off of it for those last 12 degrees so you don't actually have your foundry covered during a boil so that's what i'm going to do now and well i'm actually gonna should have enough time to clean the malt pipe the pump and the hoses as well get a little ahead of the cleaning while I'm waiting, but then uh, we will be on to the brewing of brewing a beer. I'm gonna take the true pre-boil gravity reading. I did one earlier to make sure it was actually converting, but now I'm gonna take it for real. And the goal is 1036. This is pre-boil, I did think I mentioned. So let's see where we're at now that everything's drained and sparge. It might be a little different. Okay, it's at 10.35. It was at 10.40 when I measured it before, um, but before everything was done. And it was, so that was a little high. It was supposed to be 10.36 or 10.40. That's probably a couple factors there. One, didn't add that extra gallon of sparge water, which would thin everything out. Two, I didn't adjust for temperature. I did cool this down because the refractometer works at room temperature closer to like 70 than well, 150 that came right out of the fermenter. I mean, out of the foundry. So that could have uh, affected it as well. But we are, we're on target. It's at 135. It's one point short, which is literally nothing. If I was super worried about it, I could boil a little longer. But I'm not gonna. Uh, the actual starting gravity goal here is gonna be 148, which seems like a big jump for an hour boil. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're adding 
that candied sugar during the boil. So that the pre-boil gravity doesn't calculate that additional sugar. So we're gonna this this jump that we're making is it sounds right. It's well, it usually comes out right. So as long as this boil uh, is the same level that it was last time I brewed this, I expect it to be within that range, like maybe a couple points off either way. So we're on target. We're on pace. Looks the wort looks really really good. The color much much better looking than when it was just hanging out or uh, pouring out of that, that tube like i said before so excited about this i really enjoy this beer so really happy to be making this again and looking forward to getting uh getting the boil really going here we are at a boil so i started a timer and i just added the only hop addition the hollow tower metaphor for the hollow tower the hollow tower hops and that second word, middle through, I think is how you say it. I have to slow down and, and actively, aggressively say it to get it out right. So those are in. Nothing else till 10 minutes when we put in these nutrients and the Belgian candy sugar. And then those last five minutes, the I have it's now a setchel, I guess you call it. It's a mesh muslin bag of the orange peel, the chamomile, and the cracked, uh, what are those called? Coriander seeds. Wow. Okay. Couldn't think of that for a second. And so, yeah, those will go in the last five minutes of the boil and then stay in for a steeping as we chill. So not much to do. I'm almost entirely cleaned up. I have one more bucket to rinse out and wipe down a little bit. But then, so that's, yeah, just waiting. So it could be fairly relaxing brew day by comparison of, of most of the others. I just added the 10-minute additions, the 10-minute boil additions, which includes that Belgian candy sugar. And with that, I'm stirring or keeping the wort moving so they dissolve. I don't want it to stick to the bottom and char or turn into a burnt sugar taste for a wit beer. That's definitely not going to be good for that. It'd be good for a really rich malty beer, but not this one. Though I've never had anything come close to charring or scorching or burning on this. It's, it's caked. I've gotten some, like, caked on... Uh, Troub or uh, what I don't even know what you would call it. Just just a little that takes a little bit of elbow grease to get off. Not much, but nothing that's burned. In fact, I've seen people report that once they have that really thick, there's some kind of sensor in there that actually turns off everything and gives you an error. It's called the E3 error that keeps you from having any kind of scorch or burning. So I I guess this isn't I wouldn't say unnecessary, but makes me feel better. So it actually is all broken up now anyway. So I talked my way through all that and really had nothing to worry about in the end. I just put in the five minute addition, which is the coriander seed, the orange peel and uh, chamomile tea. And I also tied off that little muslin bag to the outside, to one of the handles on the outside of the foundry, because I want this in the whole time. I want this in until there's nothing left in there. I want this to steep, to heat steep, warm steep, cool steep. I want it to be in there as long as I can and really draw as much flavors as we can out. And once I start chilling and stirring, I have, the, I have it tied to the handle so it kind of stays on the outside of the chiller and doesn't get wrapped up in everything. Because as much as I want to steep this, I also don't want to squeeze the bag and start breaking open those coriander seed uh what'd you call it the, the husk of the seed and add some of get that in the wart i don't want to tear apart the orange peels i like them the size they are so this will keep it on the outside of the chiller and the stirring and 
should give me all the flavor extraction I'm looking for in the end. I've got the beer chilling now. I'm trying to get it down to 67 degrees, maybe just a little lower and let it naturally rise inside the fermentation chamber. But 67 is my goal. I'm going to be pitching the Omega, was it OYL030 yeast? It's their wit strain. I've used it before and like it a lot. I didn't get as much of the, oh, what's the, like kind of the phenolics that I get from other wit beer yeast but i also didn't free rise it past 67 which i the more i read the more it said to kind of just get your get your fermentation up to high crowds and that's when you got the giant batch of foam on top of it then start free rising it a little bit each day get it closer to 70 maybe even over and you'll get the phenolics out that's the part of <laughs> belgian beers i don't like so i think i'm going to stick with what worked before and go to 67 now we'll see what happens come judging time if that's a good idea or not but that's kind of where I want this beer. So I think I'm going to ferment at 67 the entire 10 weeks, to, or uh, 10 weeks, 10 days to two weeks, and see what happens. So that is the plan. I just need to get everything chilled, transferred, and pitched, and then we'll get ready to go on it. It's about 24, eh, not really, it's about uh, 16 hours. I just did some quick math. 16 to 18. I don't know if I got that number right now. It's not 24 hours, but it's more than 14 hours. Let's say that. After brewing, I'm looking at the fermentation. And I do have a blow-off tube on this, but the crowds that we are at, I would say this is high crowds, and I don't think it's going to get any bigger than this, any thicker. So I don't think... Uh, it hasn't quite reached the tube or even the top of the fermenter, but it was definitely a better safe than sorry situation because I didn't want to clean up a mess. But it looks good otherwise, and I can hear the bubbles going. So I think I'm going to just leave the blow-off tube on one more night, and then tomorrow I'll put it in an airlock just to make sure we're out of the danger zone. But fermentation looks good. Smells, I was going to say, it smells great. It does not smell great when I opened this because it smelled nothing like sulfur. And you know what? I think you probably know what sulfur smells like, and that's not a pleasant odor. But now that it's cleared out, the bubbles that are coming through, I am getting a little bit of that orange. The, the orange zest is what's coming through. But that I, I'll be honest, that was not the aroma I was greeted with when I opened this door. So I'm glad to see that subsided. Um, yeah, just a waiting game at this point, which is exactly what I'm going to do now. It is tasting time for this batch of wit beer. And we'll start off with the appearance. And this is a unique thing that seems to be happening to this, re this recipe. I wouldn't say it's necessarily, uh, I don't know what you would call it, a, a problem. It's just something that doesn't happen with my other versions of this. This seems to drop clear, relatively clear. It's not crystal clear, but it's pretty darn clear. It's actually, this one is probably the clearest one so far. It seems to drop out that wheat character that gives it the haze and, and the yeast as well, which is supposed to be contributing to that, seems to drop out in cold crushing way harder than my other recipes. And then what little is left gets lost in carbonation because I used a Blickman quick carb. And then probably I do a little, like a half pint of runoff when I package. That probably clears anything that's left because it drops out so hard. One thing I could probably do to help that is not use the quick carb because then I wouldn't have to be siphoning off any beer or running off any beer but i would still do a package i'm not quite sure what the resolution of that would be didn't hurt me last time this was judged we'll see if it hurts this time because this is this might even be clearer than last time but besides that 
It's it's very light gold. It's like this one's, eh, yeah, it's light gold. Uh, the picture I took, it probably looks a little golder than it is because of the bad lighting in here. But if I took this outside in the sunlight or under, maybe even under a like a really bright room light, fluorescent lights for sure, it would definitely be closer to a, to straw gold. Not quite straw. I, I I do like that straw color in a whip beer, but mine don't quite come out like that because of the. I think because of the the grist I use, and maybe the maybe that orange zest is contributing a little bit of color too, just a little bit. Um, effervescent, insanely effervescent. I it I don't know why I don't get this the effervescence as much on my other beers. Maybe again something to do with that high wheat content or just something chemically in the beer. So with that effervescence, the head has held. The head you saw in the picture is holding. In fact, I kind of took a little. <laughs> a bite of it what would you call it i i didn't take a drink but i the head was getting a little ridiculous i i, I took some of that off in a sense with my mouth I, I, I slurped it there you go i slurped it off i could not think of the word to describe <laughs> the action i'd made but the head is so moosey and so fine and just so cloud-like i love it that's one of the things i do love about this beer and almost every whipper i've had has that so let's get the aroma i might have to slurp some of this off again again but i'll try it without it I do, I do. Let's, let's see what I can do here. I tried to do it without making a disgusting noise in the mic. Okay. Oh, man. I'm glad I did that because now I'm getting the... First thing that hits me is typically a thing I don't like with Belgian beers. It's that, that unique, spicy, phenolic aroma from the yeast. But behind that is just, just sweet maltiness, a little bit of breadiness from the wheat oh man that's <laughs> it's really coming through now that my my nose is adjusted to that that um yeast character getting a little just a little zing of citrus from the zest and just a, a sweet that floral note that count that chamomile i almost said calamine <laughs> that's that would be bad chamomile is really uh pulls everything together so nicely in the aroma no real hops. If there is hops, it's getting lost between the chamomile and that um, the phenolics because those are so the phenolics are so strong compared to everything else. And then the the like I said the the uh, what, was, what did I say? Oh, lost with the uh, chamomile because that's that's like a floral earthy aroma that the hops could be part of. But to me, it's coming across more as the that chamomile tea. So let's get to the important part. How does it drink and how does it taste, or vice versa? Okay, I will say right off the bat, and I was kind of thinking this when I carbonated it, this is a lighter version than what I made before. Still tasty, but it's a little lighter. At least it's lighter than I'm remembering. But besides that, the taste is is everything that I love in this beer. Now, I was really going for body first, so let's go for actual taste this time. So right off the bat, that yeast character playing with that sweet malt, which is just so delicate and so nice. That malt just just rounds out that those really strong uh, yeast characters so nicely. There's a nice sweet finish. There's just a little ever subtle hint of bitterness in the finish and aftertaste, and that may be directly from the hops. Could be the could be the orange zest. There might be a little bit of pith I scraped in there. I, I doubt it, though. The little amount of pith I got in there probably doesn't make that big of a difference. It's probably mostly from hops. Maybe a little bit of grainy dryness coming out in there. It's got a nice balanced finish. It's not dry. It's not sweet. It's 
it's it is crushable. It's I think in the end not even quite five percent, but so these things could be slammed and well worth it. I'm gonna do another sip here. It's amazing how much I like this style of beer, considering it's like parent style is my least favorite. Again, I I, I think I said in the intro, I don't hate Belgian beers. It's just if you put Ten beers in front of me, and five of them are not are Belgians, and the five other aren't. I would probably drink the five other that aren't, unless they're something really bad and disgusting. But let's say they're they're your run of the mill beers, malty and hoppy beers. Those are going to get drank first, and the Belgians probably wouldn't get touched after five beers, especially if they're five pints. But this wit beer, and especially it's the my gateway wit beer, which is, that's not true. <laughs> I don't know what my first whip beer was, but the one that made me love the style is Allagash White, and I think that that's a story a lot of people tell. But once I had an Allagash White and realized how good a whip beer can be, mine's not Allagash White, but it is damn good. And I don't really have a name for it, actually. I just make it my whip beer. I used to call it Tika, T-I-C-C-I-T. That stands for there is cotton candy in this. That's what I used to make it with cotton candy, but this doesn't have cotton candy. I will tell you. Well, let's get to the let's get to the the questions. Would I make this again? Yes, I've made it before. I'm going to make it again. I don't think I'm going to change much in the recipe, which is the second part of that question or the second question. I think I'm just going to keep making this. Maybe I might um, since it's a little lighter than I ex- uh, usually um, am used to with this. I might now um, with the. Uh, I'm trying to think what the difference was. It just could have been a fluke, but I may just increase the base malts a little bit, get it towards that higher end of the scale, and even if it does hit all the numbers, it still will be in style. So that, I might adjust that. I also might not. I might just leave as is, do it one uh, again with this recipe, and maybe that day was just a bad mill. I have switched mills. That could have been part of the problem. So I don't think I'm actually going to change the recipe next time I make this, which I'll definitely make in the next year again, if not sooner. Is it? What I sent it to competition, I already have. I sent it out of state twice. I sent one to Vermont and sent one to Pennsylvania. I've sent one to Gainesville. Well, when I say one, I mean entry. There's multiple bottles or cans. One to Gainesville. I have one set aside for one here in Orlando and one set aside for uh, Jacksonville, I believe, is that. So it is going into competitions. And I do name my beers for competitions and i try to make them something that might get a laugh and in this case it's called i don't like belgian beer styles or belgian style beer something like that i don't like belgian style beers so if it gets if it wins something they read matt whatever place wit beer i don't like belgian beers so my wife has actually emceed one of our club competitions just last year well a couple times but just last year and i my best shot mead that i was Positive was going to win. I named, I'll fight anyone in this room. That's me, the MC talking, not the person that entered this mead. So she had, and it did win. It got a second place. So she had to read that name. She didn't get in any fights. So, all right. I think that's enough on this one because this is just, I, I, I knew, I think going into this, how this was going to end up, but I hadn't recorded a wit beer episode in a while. And I certainly haven't recorded one with this recipe. I did the cotton candy one on YouTube feels like eons ago we know i haven't been brewing for that many years but it's been a while and this is a good one if you're following along and you have an anvil foundry and you're gonna make a two and a half gallon batch i'd say just and you never made a whip beer before go with that recipe and if you got the big foundry double it should be fine so all right on that note i am going to 
very happily finish this beer and get ready to put this all together and post so you can actually hear everything I just said. And what I will say to wrap it up is, of course, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.